What does the Bible say about hell? Was there a hell before creation? It's the Cross Culture Q&A question. Pastor Clay's answer right after this week's Crosswalk. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. It takes more than four letters to spell it, but it's a four-letter word to most of us. We don't like discipline. Last week, we began our study of the second dimension of a 3D follower of Jesus, and that is discipline. Unless you build the disciplines of a fully devoted follower of Jesus into your life, you'll never really follow Him. It is the vehicle through which God teaches us and directs us and moves our lives. If we want the instruction of God, why wouldn't we pray? I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. The first discipline we discussed was prayer. Last week, we looked at two practical aspects of prayer, the prerequisites of prayer and the position of prayer. And today, we're going to look at two more practical aspects of prayer as we begin with the purpose of prayer. A number of years ago, I was invited to the home of a, a woman, a, a lady that attended the church where I was serving. Uh, I was invited to her home to visit with her husband, who uh, did not attend uh, church, uh, had ever, never really shown much of any interest in church at all. Uh, he was, uh, by all accounts, uh, a raging alcoholic. Um, caught up in just a, a lifestyle that just, just spiraled out of control, obviously caused a lot of problems in his, in his marriage and, and with his, with his uh, children. I was invited to the home, and so I took with me a friend who I knew had had some struggles in his past with uh, drug addictions and when we arrived uh, at the home, we, we ran around back where uh, the man had a garage where he worked on cars. He did, did body work on uh, cars. And we walked in, and as soon as you walk in, this is, this is a guy thing, but as soon as you walk in, you know, you just smell Bondo and fresh paint, you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's, just, it's just good. And um, the man had a friend there with him who was helping him do uh, some of the work, uh, he didn't stick around long uh, when he found out that, you know, a, a preacher was in the house. Uh, it is funny. I, I tell you all, it's, it's comical sometimes the reaction that I get uh, when people, when I'm around people maybe for the first time and they find out that I'm a pastor, or I'm a preacher, the, the looks that you'll get, the, just the, I don't know what people sometimes think uh, about uh, preachers. I remember I was thinking about Jennifer Mason uh, this morning, uh, Jennifer's here at Cross Culture. Uh, one time she drove by cookout and saw Cindy and and me in the cookout drive-thru, and uh, she immediately called her mom and said, Mom, Pastor Clay and Cindy go to cookout. So I, 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 don't know, I don't know what the deal is with that. But anyway, uh, the man, you know, he invited us in. He was, he was cordial enough, but at the same time, you could tell that, you know, he was a little uneasy and, and wasn't real, uh, uh, I don't think he was real appreciative that his wife had invited us over just to spend some time with him. The, the friend who was with me, uh, just in the right timing, began to share about his life and about the struggles that he had had, and talked about uh, the problems that his addictions had caused, and talked about uh, the despair and the loneliness and the, and the hurt and the thoughts of suicide that he had entertained uh, at, the, at the deepest parts of, uh, of his struggle. And then he began to share with this man about how Christ had come into his life and the difference that Christ had made in his life and what his life was like now in relationship with Jesus Christ. Certainly not perfect. He still had his struggles and he shared some of that, but, but the, the difference that Christ had made in his life. There was probably this time frame of maybe five or six seconds. Now, if you're ever in one of the situations, it seems like, man, it's like forever. But it was probably no more than five or six seconds of silence. When the man that we had gone to visit, this, this hardened, alcoholic, unresponsive uh, to the things of God man, just crumpled under the weight of years of emotion and, and who knows what all in his life. 
and, and I'll never forget him just, just falling to his knees, and he, and he grabbed the legs of the friend who, uh, who was with me who had been sharing. He just grabbed his legs, and he just began to sob and, and just, just cry uncontrollably. And as, as tears fell from his face, and, and I'll never forget tears falling on, on my friend's shoes like they were raindrops. Um, and this man in the midst of his sobbing and his, and his just wailing just cries out, it's real. With you, I can see it's real. And I need it in my life. That's what I mean by the phrase, so real you can touch it. Our faith walk, this relationship with Jesus that many of us in this room claim to have, is not something that we, we pull out and shine up on Sunday morning to take down and, and show off down at the church house. It is something that, that, that makes our lives different than they were before a relationship with Christ. There's something about our lives that makes it authentic, that makes it so real that people can actually touch it. They can actually experience this faith in our lives. That's what this series is all about. So real, you can touch it. If our faith is going to be that way, and by the way, each person has to make that decision. Is that, is that what this thing is with me? Is that really what I want? Do I, uh, is, this, is this some uh, superficiality, uh, religious practice, or is there more to this? If it's going to be so real that you can touch it, uh, we have put this series together emphasizing three Ds, three dimensions to a fully devoted follower of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we started with the first dimension of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And if you're with us, you may remember that that is desire. I'm not going to rehash that entire message. Uh, you can certainly go online and listen to it at any, any time. But I will say this that I said a couple weeks ago in, in referring to desire, that if there is not desire in your life, if it does not start there, then none of the rest of what we'll talk about throughout this series will make any difference at all. It won't. It just won't matter if there's not desire. I'll also say this that I said a couple weeks ago. If you would... Want desire in your life, desire for God, desire for the things of God, desire for the kingdom of God, for it to be more than religion, more than ritual, but actual relationship. If you would desire that, ask him, ask God for it. Ask God for a desire for him. Ask God for a desire for his kingdom. Ask God to expose anything in your life that is preventing you from truly desiring God. Ask him to give you a desire that is greater than anything or anyone in the entire world. Ask him. Last week, we started into the second dimension of a fully devoted follower of Jesus, and that is discipline. And I'll say this again, which I said last week. Unless discipline is built into your life as a follower of Christ, you will never really be a follower of Christ. Unless you build in these disciplines that God's Word talks about and that we're going to discuss in the coming weeks, you'll never really understand what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. But it takes discipline. And as I said last week and as I wrote about this week in my pastor's perspective, it takes more than four letters to spell it, but it's a four-letter word to most of us. We don't like discipline. The first discipline that we began with last week and that we're going to continue to discuss this week is the discipline of prayer. The discipline of prayer. And last week, I said uh, that I wanted to share with you two practical aspects of the discipline of prayer. I'm sure they're all etched clearly on your mind and you can recall them instantly, but just in case you can't, Tyler is ready at the hand to deliver the fact that we talked about the prerequisites of prayer, what, what, what we have to bring to this thing, and the position of prayer. Today, uh, and by the way, I'm not, again, I'm not going to rehash that one. Go to iTunes, download it, go straight to our website, crossculturelife.org, and you can listen to it. 
But listen to those two practical aspects of prayer. Today, we're going to look at two more practical aspects of prayer, time permitting. And the first practical aspect of prayer that we're going to talk about today is the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer. I want you to pray with me as we start this morning. Father, thanks that we can be here. Thank you for each person who's here. Thank you for the avenue of prayer. I've been learning about prayer for a long time, Lord God. I'm still learning about prayer. But I thank you for it. And I think that discussing the practical aspect of prayer as far as purpose is concerned is is important. I don't even know how many people actually think about the purpose of prayer when they begin to pray. But Father, uh, we want to learn. I think the people in this room genuinely want to learn. They've got other things they could do with their time if they wanted to. They could could sleep in. They could catch a movie. They could go to the golf course or the lake or, or whatever. But they've chosen to be here, partly just to corporately gather and fellowship with each other, partly to be able to corporately worship you, the God who is worthy, even as we've sung today, worthy is the Lamb. So we can worship you, and, and that's wonderful, but partly, I believe, also so that we can learn from the truth of your word, we can apply to our lives and walk out of here having gained something that we did not have when we came in. In this room are people who have walked with you for many, many, many years. And in this room, probably, are those that are still even weighing the whole thought about whether to walk with you, to give their life to you or not. Thanks, Father, that you've drawn the full gamut of people in their spiritual journey. Some who have not yet even trusted you as Savior, some who have walked with you for many years, and those of us in between. Lord, teach us. Teach me about prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I I, I do think it's a good question because I don't think we ask it a lot. Why do I pray? What is the purpose of prayer? Well, certainly it is not to inform God of anything, right? I mean, he's God. There's nothing that he does not know. So when we go to him, uh, it's not to inform him of anything. We have much to discuss with God but not to inform God of anything. Part of the purpose of prayer is intimacy. Intimacy with God. I would go so far as to say that intimacy is the most important purpose of prayer. Not that the other purposes aren't important. They are. But listen, folks, I've already mentioned this a couple of times. It's coming to this understanding that this is not a religion This is not a ritual. This is a relationship. This is a God who cares about me and desires to communicate with me and desires for me to communicate with him. It's intimacy at the deepest level. I want to read to you, and it's going to be rather lengthy, but I just, man, I just, I got, well, maybe I could, nah, you just, you just got to hear it. I, I want to read to you what is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer that he prays in John chapter 17. Okay, now um, there's much that we could talk about uh, about the prayer itself. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to read through the prayer. And as I read through the prayer, I just want you to listen. Listen, not just with your ears, but listen with your heart. I want you to hear the relationship that exists between the father and the son as Jesus offers up this prayer. John chapter 17, Jesus spoke these things. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, he begins his prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. 
For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. But of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they, they may be one, even as we are one. <clears throat> While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Their future glory, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and I love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known. So that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. I want to ask you a question. Does that sound like some cold, distant God? Does that sound like some ritualistic, religious prayer? Or does it sound like an intimate conversation between a father and a son? It's the intimacy of prayer. Nowhere else can you get that intimate with God as you can in prayer. It's part of the purpose of prayer. And if there are times in your life, and there probably have been in almost all of our lives, when you say, I, 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 don't, I don't know, I just, I just don't feel very close to God. Get on your knees, because that's where intimacy comes into this thing. Well, so much to say, and, and lots of things, but I've got to move on and, and cover the ones that, that we're going to try and do today. Not only as part of the purpose of prayer, intimacy, but a second purpose of prayer is instruction. Instruction comes from prayer. Now, let me say this. God may use our circumstances at times in our lives to guide us. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure that he uses it nearly as much as people seem to think he uses it. But God may use our circumstances to guide us and, and, to, and to help us maybe see this is the direction that he is leading us. He may use the counsel of a, of a, of a close friend or a spiritual advisor. But the primary way through which God instructs us is through His Word and through prayer, and usually a combination thereof. It is the instruction that God gives to us. I think we looked at this verse uh, last week, but uh, let me look at it again with you. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should, what? Say it. Ask God. 
Oh, you're looking for wisdom. You're looking for direction. You're looking for instruction. Ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Part of the purpose of prayer is instruction. Why wouldn't we pray? In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham's servant prayed and asked God to direct him to the woman that he had for Isaac to marry, and God directed him. In Exodus chapter 14, with the Red Sea at their at their at the tips of their toes and the Egyptian army bearing down on them, Moses cried out to God, what should we do next? And God answered him. In Judges chapter 6, Gideon prayed and asked God for a sign so that he would know what he was doing was in God's will. And God answered him. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, David prayed and asked God whether he should go to war against the Philistines. And God told him. In 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon asked God for wisdom and God granted it. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel prayed and asked God for the ability to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And God gave it to him. Why wouldn't we pray? If we want the instruction of God, why wouldn't we pray? It is the vehicle through which... God teaches us and directs us and moves our lives. But let me say this. If you're going to receive instruction from God in prayer, a couple things to keep in mind. There's probably some more that I could list. But as I've said in this series, it's not intended to be exhaustive. I just can't do everything. But let me tell you a couple things. If you want to receive instruction from God in prayer, you need to keep this in mind. Number one, there needs to be sincerity when you go to God in prayer. All right? If you want God's will... If you want God's instruction, if you want God's wisdom, you have to go to God and ask Him for it. And you have to go, you know, I said last week, this idea of open hands. You have to go with no uh, premeditated uh, uh, directive or motives or anything else. But God, I need to hear from you. I want you to instruct my life. Would you tell me what you want me to do? I know none of us in here would ever do this. But some people have been known to go to God asking for his wisdom, asking for his will, asking for his instruction, when in fact what they really wanted was his blessing upon the plans they had already made. We would never do that, of course. No, we have to go to God and throw out our agenda, throw out our wants, our desires, throw it all out and say, God, move me, direct me, teach me. I'm open, I'm here. God, there has to be sincerity. There also has to be longevity. One of the curses of the culture in which we live is we don't like to wait for anything. Let me give you an example. Any of y'all remember a little something called dial-up? Now, I understand there are still places in the world where dial-up is the only internet access that is available to them. But if you've ever had internet access any other way, you can't go back to the dark side. You can't go back to dial up. It's just, what is happening? We, listen, I, I wish it wasn't this way at times. I, because I, but God operates on his timetable and not mine. Now, there, there are times, aren't there? Oh, praise God, there are times when we pray and it just seems like, bam, God just, boom, moves and says, wow. But can I tell you, at least in my personal experience of walking with Jesus for quite a few years now, those moments are few and far between. God tends to operate on his own timetable, not because he's trying to tease us, not because he doesn't, but because he loves us and he has his purposes and his plans and he's fitting all this thing together. And if you want God's instruction, if I want God's instruction in my life, I'd best plan on being here a while. Longevity in prayer. For instruction. So, there's intimacy, there's instruction, third purpose of prayer, and that is prayer is investment. When you pray, ladies and gentlemen, you are investing in the work of God. When you pray, you are investing in the kingdom. When you pray, you are investing in the eternal destiny of people. Why would we not pray? To invest in the work. God has allowed us the privilege of praying. And I, I 
I tell you, I don't understand. There's so much mystery in prayer. But for whatever reason, God has chosen to allow us to join him in his work. And one of those ways he's allowed us to join him is through prayer. And somehow, in some way that I want to share, God takes our prayers and he uses our prayers in the work of the kingdom. You and I, as followers of Christ, get to actually invest in God's work by praying. Why wouldn't we pray? Look at this uh, passage of Scripture. Jesus says, I think it's Matthew chapter 9, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and, and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Now listen, watch this now. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus looks over, the, he sees the people, sees them in, in their spiritual condition. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, what's that word? Say it with me. Beseech. Pray, get a hold of the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus says, hey, you want to help in this? He looks out and he sees this mass throng of humanity trying to eke out a living and, and live for another day when spiritually they were destitute and naked and bound for a Christless eternity. And Jesus was moved with compassion for them. And the first thing he says to his disciples that they can do about it is he says, get on your face before the Lord of the harvest and ask him to send out workers. It's an investment. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 6. Never stop praying, especially for others. Always pray by the power of the Spirit. Stay alert and keep praying. There it is again. For God's people, pray that I will be given the message to speak and that I may fearlessly explain the mystery about the good news I was sent to do this work. And that's the reason I'm in jail. So pray that I will be brave and will speak as I should. Now, isn't that interesting? We don't have time to really delve into it, but it's interesting. Paul doesn't pray, doesn't ask them to pray that he'll get out. Now, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. No doubt they prayed that prayer. We'll see that in a moment. But isn't it interesting? Paul says, listen, you just pray that I'll be bold, that I'll, that I'll share, because I could be fearful. I could be afraid because they might kill me. But you pray that I'll be bold. You're investing in the work of the kingdom when you pray for somebody like that. God, I pray for our missionaries that, that they would have a boldness as they, as they go and interact in the world today. I pray for us as a church, as we go out, that we would be thinking missionally and that we would be, be having an opportunity to invest in people's lives. It's an investment. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's thanking the church in Philippi for praying for him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, I think it is. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Paul says, not only is he asking them to pray, but he says, you know, I'm praying for you. I'm investing in your life. I'm investing in your work. Uh, Colossians 1, 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, Watch this. We have not stopped, what's that word? Praying for you. We continually, look what, God, what he's praying. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul says, I'm, I'm praying for you and I'm praying that, that God's Spirit will fill you and you're going to grow up in Christ Jesus. He's investing in their lives. Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 3. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, which I'm in change. Paul says, I'm praying for you, but I hope you're praying for me and pray that God will open a door. You're investing in the work of the kingdom. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. Thank God for the Epaphrasis of the world, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I, I, there's more. Look, look, look at the next one. First Thessalonians 5.25. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Second Thessalonians. As for the other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Pray that the work will be spread. Pray. Invest. And one more. Philemon chapter 1. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to what? Your prayers. Oh, yeah, y'all been praying for me, so go ahead and just fix the, make the bed up. Because I fully anticipate God to respond 
to your prayers. It's an investment. Why wouldn't we pray when we have that opportunity? All right, uh, let's see how far we can get with the rest of this as, as we go. Um, so the, the first practical aspect is the purpose of prayer. Uh, intimacy, instruction, investment. You can actually make a kingdom difference. Let me, let me say this before we go on. A little over a year ago, we started something called the 7 Challenge. There's a, a few different components of the 7 Challenge. But the first component of the 7 Challenge is that we commit to pray for seven people to do what all those verses said, to pray for seven people that we happen to know in some way. We may know them closely, we may know them vaguely, but as far as we know, they are not fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so we ask you to to list, to think up and to list seven people. They might be relatives, they might be neighbors, they might be friends, they might be co-workers, but seven people that you would pray for every day, seven times in a week for seven different people. There's some other components to the seven challenges, and we'll talk about those when when we get to the discipline of of sharing our faith. But it begins with prayer. If you're new to cross-culture, or maybe you've been coming for a while, and for whatever reason, you've never committed to the seven challenges. And and by the way, if you're new and you don't know, the way we ask people to commit is to come down and sign this sign. Sign the sign. That's what the Sharpie pen is there for every week. We got a handful of people on there, not as many as are in this room. And if you think, well, I don't have to come forward to make that commitment. No, you don't. But why wouldn't you? In a little while, we're going to have an altar call. And, and, and I pray if you've not taken the seven challenge, if, or you've not maybe been doing it, but you haven't put your name on there or whatever, that you just come down and you just sign it. Just sign your name. I, I'm, taking this, I'm going to pray for seven people seven times a week. I can do that. That's the purpose of prayer. Now, real quickly, let's talk about the product of prayer. What? What can I expect to get out of prayer? Okay, it's a discipline I'm supposed to have, but should I actually expect something to be produced as a result of my time in prayer? Uh, Yeah, yeah. There should be a product as a result of prayer. Let's look at the first one. The first one is this, the presence of God. The very presence of God. Now, that's already been inferred uh, when we talked about intimacy with God. But think about this. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke it into existence and it was, the one who holds it by his power, invites you to come into his very presence. Prayer allows me to do that. I, uh, some of you probably have heard me tell this story before. I won't tell the whole thing. Um, it actually is, the story is kind of, the reason for the birth of this book that I'm trying to write, and I tell the story in the, in the book. But um, a number of years ago when I was in seminary, uh, Dr. Charles Stanley was invited to speak at Southeastern Seminary at Chapel. And um, if, you, may, you may not know who Dr. Charles Stanley was, is, but um, Dr. Charles Stanley arguably, besides Billy Graham, has been the most influential uh, pastor, preacher in the last 50 years. Um, very well-known worldwide television, radio ministry, a best-selling author, and Dr. Stanley was coming to speak to the seminary, and um, uh, Dr. Patterson, the president of the seminary, made it clear that uh, Clay, who normally picked up the chapel speakers, was not to go pick up Dr. Stanley, because this was Dr. Charles Stanley. We don't need Clay going in there and asking him a million questions or anything else. It's, well, through a, a series of, of circumstances, I, I like to think of it as divine intervention, God made it possible that I had to go pick up Dr. Stanley. It's a long story. Buy the book when it comes out. <laughs> Dr. Stanley, I have to go pick up Dr. Stanley. So I go pick up Dr. Stanley, and uh, a lot of stuff happened. We talked a little bit, yada, yada, yada. We get, I get him back to his room. I drop him off and say, well, Dr. Stanley, it's been an honor meeting you. I'm looking forward so much to uh, hearing you tomorrow in chapel. And I turn to walk out, and he says, well, what am I supposed to do about dinner? And I said, well, Dr. Stanley, it's, it's my understanding that there's a couple in Durham who have, who have been supporters of your ministry for many years, and it's been arranged for you to have dinner with, with them tonight. And he says, yeah, yeah, I think that's right, but I don't want to do that. I want to have dinner with you and your wife. And uh, I, I said, Dr. Stanley, that is, wow, thanks. That's a great honor, and, I, and I'd, I'd love to do that, but I'm sure that there are a number of professors right here on the campus that would love to have dinner with you. They'd be honored to take you out. And he says, no, no. I want to have dinner with you and your wife. 
Here's what he says. I think I could learn something from you. <laughs> so I called Cindy. I called Cindy. I said, get ready. We're going to have dinner with Charles Stanley. So, uh, so we went out to dinner. We had a wonderful time. Yada, yada, yada. Long story. Buy the book. And, uh, <laughs> and so here's what I'm telling you. It's the next day. It's like people, you know, word gets out. I don't know how word got out that I had dinner with Dr. Stanley. I don't know how people found out. But anyway, it's like, it's like, you know, other students are like wanting to touch the hem of my garment, you know, because I've been like in the presence of Charles Stanley. To be in the presence of God Almighty, to know that at any moment, at any instant, you, me, just common people, just sinners saved by his grace can go into the very presence of God. The writer of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 it says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace. Wow, if it just stopped there, that would be awesome enough. To approach it with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Listen, if you're not praying, you, you're missing the very presence of God. I know there's a sense that we're always in the presence of God. I know that there's no place that God is not. But there's something unique about going to Him in prayer and drawing near unto Him and and in sincerity and and with longevity, those things that we talked about, and and sensing when God draws near unto you and you draw near unto God. It's it's the presence of God. Second, here's a a second uh, product of prayer. It's the peace of God. You cannot get peace in your life I don't care. You cannot get peace in your life to the degree that you need it without prayer. Can't do it. Philippians chapter 4, we we find this. Don't worry about anything. Well, all right. Should we just stop there a while? Is it confession time? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank Him for all He has done then you will experience, watch this, God's, what? Peace. Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Do you, do you struggle with worry? Do you struggle with anxiety? Do you struggle with, with fear and doubt? May I suggest to you that the solution will be found on your knees? That the solution is found in beginning a conversation with your heavenly father and pouring out. And and Paul's very practical about it. Tell tell him what you need. Again, not because he doesn't know, but because when we tell him what we need, it's an act. It's a demonstration of our faith that he's able to meet that need. And let the peace of God cover your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's the peace of God. Wow, I got to hurry. A lot to say about that. But let's move on. One more product of prayer, and that is the power of God. Really need to get to this. The power of God. That's, that's it, folks. If, if I can get on my knees or, or whatever the position is for you, if I, can, if I can have this conversation with my father and I can listen to him, and, and I understand that's a learned thing as we spend more time with him, but as he speaks into my heart and my life and as I discover these truths, and I can begin to experience the power of God in my life. Why would we not pray? I, I read about this missionary lady, Dr. Helen, and I forget her last name, Rosenforth or something like that. Uh, this was many years ago in Zaire. She said a, a woman came to visit her in her clinic one day and she was, she was pregnant. She had gone into labor. She had a little girl with her and she was in labor. And unfortunately, uh, the mother passed away as a result of giving birth to this premature child. And, uh, and the missionary doctor uh, said that they tried to improvise some type of makeshift uh, incubator to keep the, the, the premature baby alive. And they didn't have, she, she said, we had one water bottle and it had ruptured. It wasn't any good. And so she went to the children who hung around the compound there and stuff and, and, and told the children to pray to pray for the newborn baby, to pray for the little girl who had just lost her mother. And there was this one girl who, as the story goes, uh, began to pray out loud and prayed, God, would you send us a water bottle today? It'll be too late tomorrow. And God, while you're at it, will you send a baby doll for the 
little girl so she won't be lonely? Dr. Helen said a package arrived that afternoon from England. They opened the package. They began to pull items out, clothing and other things like that. And sure enough, down in this box is one water bottle. They found out later the, the ladies group that sent it said they had no idea why they sent a water bottle to Zaire because they figured nobody needed to stay warm there, but they just felt led to include a water bottle in there. And when the little girl saw the water bottle, she said, I know there's a doll in there as well. You can guess there was. It's the power of prayer. I was reading about Dallas Theological Seminary in the early days of Dallas Theological Seminary. They needed $10,000 to keep operating. And Dr. Harry Ironside, who was a lecturer there uh, in a special called prayer meeting, prayed. He said, Father, straight from the psalm, he said, Father, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Would you sell off a few head and give us the money we need to keep this school open? Shortly after the prayer time, a check arrived for $10,000, exactly what they needed, right after the prayer meeting. The person that sent it had no knowledge of Ironside's prayer, no knowledge even of the need of the school. He attached a note that was included with the check that simply said, I sold some cattle and felt like I should give a donation to the school. It's the power of prayer. Some of you know the story of George Mueller. Some of you have read about some of Mueller's incredible faith and his prayers and that sort of thing. Mueller ran a, a series of orphanages in England back in the 19th century and He was known as a man of unbelievable faith. And there was a a girl uh, of a friend of Mueller's, there was a a little girl visiting the home. And she she retold this account years later. She said that um, one morning when when they got up, uh, they went into the the kitchen, the dining room area, and there was was no food. There's a long table, the table set, there's, there's empty plates and empty cups, and they're all sitting there, and there's no food in the house whatsoever. And according to the little girl, Mueller took her by the hand, he says, come on, child, watch what our father will do. And they went in, they gathered all the children there at the table, and Mueller supposedly prayed, Father, thank you for the food that you have provided for us. The little girl says that Mueller no sooner got the words out of his mouth than a knock came at the door. They went to the door, and the local baker, the town baker, was there. And he said, uh, Brother Mueller, he said, I, I, I just couldn't sleep last night. I just had this, this feeling that, that you all needed bread. And so I got up at 2.30 in the morning so I could bake bread. And, and, and here I just wanted to bring it to you this morning. The little girl said, George Mueller praised God and thanked him for, for his provision. They shut the door and no more than three, four, five minutes passed when there came another knock at the door. And at the door was the town milkman. And it seems that his cart had broken down right outside of their door. And he said, I've got to get rid of this milk because it's going to spoil anyway. And I've got to get my cart fixed. Would you be so kind as to take this milk off of my hands so that I can get my cart fixed? It's the power of prayer. Why wouldn't we pray? Mary, Queen of Scots, said that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than 10,000 soldiers. I heard about this little boy that uh, this article was in Reader's Digest. This lady was visiting the church, and, and in the church, which was in Kentucky, and the boy had uh, apparently pretty rambunctious, as boys are known to do from time to time. He got kind of boisterous, kind of loud, kind of acting up and acting out, and however long the father apparently stood it for as long as he could, and then he grabbed it. He, I mean, he gently lifted his child up uh, from, from where he was seated. According to this lady in the, in the uh, Reader's Digest, tucked the boy under his arm like this and started marching out the door of this church with the boy's head facing that way and everybody knew what was coming and apparently everybody was in agreement that it was well deserved and and just before he gets to the door the 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 little boy suddenly yells out y'all pray for me now (laughs) there's there's somebody that believes in prayer there's somebody believes in the power of prayer what what Y'all probably heard this, and, and, and with this I'll close. I, I know I've got to close. I'm late. There was this, there was this town that was a, dry, it was a dry county. You know what a dry county is? They don't exist anymore, but dry counties, there was no alcohol or liquor sold in the county. And uh, the ordinance changed or something, and, and so a, 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 a bar went into either next door or very close to this church. And the, this church was very upset about it. And uh, they began to pray that God would intercede on their behalf, that, they, that there wouldn't be this, this bar here. Well, the story, according to the story, lightning struck the bar and it burned to the ground. The bar owner 
knew about the prayers. They'd been very vocal. Oh, we're praying against you, bar man. <laughs> Lightning burned to the ground. The, the bar owner takes the church to court and sues them because of their prayers and, and claimed that their prayers were responsible for burning down his bar. The church hired a lawyer to defend them and vehemently denied that it was their fault. In the deposition or, or in whatever, and the first time they came before the judge, having looked at the case, the judge said, well, one thing for sure, no matter how this case turns out, there's a bar owner in town that believes in the power of prayer and Christians that don't. Why wouldn't we pray? Nothing is as important as our relationship with God, and prayer allows us the opportunity to get to know God, to be alone with God, and to have an intimate relationship with God. Another purpose of prayer is instruction. God may use circumstances to direct us, but the primary ways God instructs us in His will is through His Word and through prayer. And as Pastor Clay taught us today, prayer is an investment in God's work. When you pray for people and when you pray for the work of the kingdom, you are making an investment into God's work. You are making an investment into eternity. Next week, Pastor Clay continues to walk us through what he calls the three D's of a disciple. It's cross-culture in 3D, so real you can touch it. And we invite you to listen again next week. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Now this week's Cross Culture Q&A. It's Q&A time at Cross Culture Church today, and so we're answering a question that... Um, uh, is a, an interesting one, and it looks this like this. It says, what does the Bible say about hell? Was there a hell before creation? Now, this is a timely uh, question because Nicole was just telling me this morning that she'd seen on the news or something where a pastor of a very prominent or large church somewhere had just come out um, uh, proclaiming that a, a God of love wouldn't send anybody to hell, and so there's not really a hell. Um, God certainly is a God of, of love, and there's certainly a good way to answer that uh, question, but Scripture makes it quite clear that there is a hell. Now, the question about when was hell created, well, Scripture doesn't answer that question for us. We don't know. Now, I'll give you speculation in a, in a moment. We don't know when hell was created. What we do know is why hell was created. In Matthew chapter 25, and what's part of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is talking, and he says this, Then he will say to those on his left... Depart from me, you who are cursed, cursed into the eternal fire, eternal fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. So Jesus uh, proclaims in Matthew chapter 25 that hell was created as a place for those angels that rebelled against God sided with Satan when he fell, and it was created for them. Now, in Matthew 25, it's interesting to note that Jesus is talking to people. He's talking to individuals who reject his grace, reject his, his presence in their life, and, and rely on themselves to somehow gain God's approval. And God says, no, uh, you'll end up in the same place that the angels, the place that was created for the angels and for Satan, for those angels that fell. 
Um, I mentioned the guy that said that there is no hell. Um, it's interesting that the demons seem to believe that there is uh, a hell. In Matthew chapter 8, uh, there's this encounter with Jesus and these demon-possessed men in a region that was known as the Gadarenes. It says, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tomb met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Interesting that the demons even then understood that, that there's, a, there's a reckoning day coming uh, for them. Now, there is no record in the Genesis account of creation, Genesis chapter 1 or 2, there's no record or mention of the creation of angels, the angelic beings. So we can assume, I think rightfully so, that angels were created prior to the creation of the earth, prior to the Genesis account. We know in Genesis chapter 3 that Satan came into the garden to deceive Adam and Eve, which tells us that he had already fallen prior to that. So he is already working against God in Genesis chapter 3. Because they're not mentioned, we assume they already created. Because Satan has already uh, fallen at that point, I think it is probable, although, although not provable, I think it is probable that hell was created prior to the creation of uh, the earth. Now, the, the tricky part gets in, because if you remember, if you were with us in our study in the book of Revelation last year, we find out at the book, end of the book of Revelation that hell, meaning those people who, who are being held there, is cast into the lake of fire, which is the final uh, place, which she's actually is even making mention to uh, there in Matthew 25. So um, exactly when it was created, nobody can really say for sure. We know why it was created. We know that it's a real place. And we know that you and I, as followers of Christ, have responsibility to let them know that the loving God uh, has actually made it possible that any person doesn't have to go there if they would... Uh, turn and give their lives to Jesus Christ. That's Q&A for today.